Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my podcasting friend, husband. Friends now. Did you friends on me? No, my know, husband Zach. You know, that's I was, who it is. I was thinking this week. You know how celebrities have like they combine their names. Like, is it wasn't like Brangelina and like we could combine our names and we'd be no. we'd be crack. Oh, <laughs> here's the. <laughs> we didn't plan that one. Sorry, that took me off guard because it was so bad. I, <laughs> um. What a little known fact is that you guys didn't, probably didn't know. Has anyone watched Ferngully? Because if you were born in the 80s, you probably did. It's a little story of a fairy who... Saves the trees. Saves the trees, right? You can look it up. Guess what? Krista and Zach. The fairy is Krista, and she falls in love with a human, of course. Weird story. But there you go. We were meant to be together. Krista and Zach. Krista, help it grow. There I always go. wanted to be a fairy. There you go. Or a mermaid, but so the podcasting team crack <laughs> coming at you live. No, I, I prefer Ferngully. Ferngully. Yeah. Anyway, we are so glad you are here. Thank you for studying along with us, listening, sharing. We are feeling so much excitement with this and are just grateful. Um to hear your insights and to hear what you're doing and to hear just how this I don't know that this unified effort with everyone studying and you know we're all studying with our kids and our all of these things is just so cool. I I teach primary and today I asked, just started my lesson by asking the kids what they talked about and sure enough they spouted off what our lesson was about. I just there's really so much power behind this and the beauty of being in the scriptures with your families, with your small groups, however you're doing it, even if it's just your own personal study, which is why we're here. We've we've got some great messages from people saying, thanks for making me feel like I have a community, even though I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I live by myself. Mm-hmm. So this is what it's all about, finding joy and beauty in the scriptures together. And we are so grateful to be a part of your study. We asked last week for you to... We've asked the last couple of weeks for you to share your experiences, even practical things that are working for you and your family. And we've got tons of them. We've tried to share a couple of them on Instagram. We're going to share a bunch more in our next episode. But just thank you for that and keep them coming. And it really is motivating to us and giving Mm -hmm. us ideas for our own family too. So we're just really grateful. And we're going to continue to share those things. Like Zach said here, you can follow us on Instagram at the Scripture Study Project where we share more um, tips and insights and insights like and yep. you know greater insights into what we're studying each week so with that without further ado thank you take it away let's start so we wanted to begin this episode we did uh, a couple of episodes ago an introduction to matthew mark and luke the synoptic gospel writers um, identified or named so because their their gospels are on the surface very similar and if you go back and listen to that episode you can see um, that they are even though their their stories and the language is similar, they their intents and purposes and even the way that they write their stories, the the storyline that they put in their their gospels is very different. Um, but we left John out of that introduction, and so we wanted to give a brief introduction to John. Uh, his gospel is com- 
pretty different. It's it's over 90% unique just to him. He does put some details in, but John's very clearly writing um, not from the same from the same playbook and, and not from the same emphasis. Now, uh, John's the disciple or the gospel writer about whom we know the most because he's, of course, John the Beloved, one of the um, innermost disciples of Jesus. Um, and uh, he... He wrote a couple of epistles that show up at the end of the Bible. He wrote the book of Revelation. Actually, people think that the Gospel of John was the last thing that he wrote. Um, And John writes to uh, a distinct audience and for a distinct purpose. He is writing to Christians. Um, He's writing his Gospels, assumedly the last one written. Uh, In some cases, people place it even up to 30 or 40 years after the other gospels were written, which were written 20 or 30 years after Christ's ministry. And so John could be writing as late as like 90 AD. And uh, there's a good body of Christian believers and followers. However, their faith is under attack, um, certainly by external physical persecution. They're not very popular with the Romans and they're not very popular with the Jews. They're not very popular with anyone really. Um, but John sees a bigger threat in that their their religion is under attack from apostasy. In order for Christians to survive, they're starting to blend their Christianity with Greek philosophy. And there's a whole bunch of different ideas that are creeping in. And Paul will write about some of these um, in his epistles. But John seems to be speaking to that a- arena. So he's trying to remind Christians who Jesus is, and he's the best at doing it because he has such an intimate, personal view of the Savior, which is why in John's gospel, uh, you get less of, like in, in Luke, Luke is trying to show the universal Savior, and so he's showing Jesus to the masses, Jesus speaking sermons to the masses, to the groups, because he's trying to show that Jesus is the Jesus for everyone. John's purpose is very different. He's trying to show Jesus as your intimate personal savior. So John gives us a lot of one-on-one experiences. Um, The woman taken in adultery, the woman at the well, um, uh, Nicodemus in the next couple of chapters. Um, Here in this chapter that we're going to study a lot of one-on-ones, he has these, anytime Jesus teaches, it's usually to an individual or to at least a small group. And so John's gospel is a very intimate, personal, physical, tangible witness of Jesus. Um, and it has just a lot of a lot of feeling and depth and emotion in him. So, and maybe you could answer this for us. I was as I was reading a few things on John. You know, it mentions that he never calls. He talks about John, but it's not. It's John the Baptist, yeah, like never, in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe to not get confused with that, he never refers to himself by right, name. Right, that's He's always what I the read gospel, about. The, the apostle that Jesus loved, or the other apostle. Um, so, for example, in this chapter, when it mentions that two apostles, two disciples of John the Baptist follow Jesus, one is Andrew by name, and the other one is never named, and usually that's John uh, not putting Assumedly. his name in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. So that's kind of the first introduction we have of him. Right. Even though it's kind of a little confusing, I think, because you're reading the Gospel of John, and here he is talking about John the Baptist. Exactly. So, but that's, I think that's a, an important thing to know. You can kind of get a sense that John's focus is because he leaves out a lot of things that are in the other Gospels. For example, there's no birth nativity narrative in John because mm-hmm. he assumes he's writing to Christians that already know it. Um, and so, again, just writing to Christians, trying to remind them of who Christ is. Um, and 
John chapter 1 is kind of this thesis. It's the setup of what he's going to do throughout his entire gospel. Um, one of the things that John is focusing on and that you'll see throughout his gospel is there is no what's called the messianic secret. In other gospels, you'll see Jesus say something like this. He'll perform a miracle and then he'll say to people, don't tell other people this. Don't spread this around because he doesn't want the fanfare. He doesn't want the, the accolades. He just wants to serve and preach and teach. However, in John, there's none of that. By John chapter 3, Jesus says, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. Um, and throughout the entire book, he is inviting people to come and see who he is, to come and experience him in this very physical, tangible way. John's the one that tells us the story at the end about Thomas, who doesn't believe until he can touch Jesus's hands. And so in a way, the entire gospel of John is all about coming and seeing the Savior for yourself. And so what we're going to do in John chapter 1 is ask the question, and we'll give a couple of answers, but your study is going to take you in other places. But the question is, what do people come to see about Jesus as they meet him? And there's some things written in John chapter 1. There's also some things that you could probably see in between the lines. Who is Jesus? What's he like? What's his character? What's his personality? As these people come to meet him and as we come to meet him, what do we learn about him? And what I like to think about with that question is, why? No, Not only what are we going to see, but why do we want to come and see hmm. Maybe some thoughts that will deepen your study in that aspect too is why are these people coming to him yeah. to see? So John starts out by talking about this light, a light that shineth in darkness in, ver in verse 5. Um, and we don't comprehend this light, bearing his testimony right off the bat of something that's going to help us see. And then in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John referring to John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light and that all men through him might believe. And the word that kept coming through my head as I read that because of all these references to light was that through him might see. John the Baptist was sent as that preparatory prophet mm -hmm. <laughs> to tell us about this light. And I love the, that he, the way that John the Baptist preaches in these verses here but because he continually tells people like in verse 8 he was he was not the light but was sent to bear witness of that light and that is exactly what he did i think we can really look at john the baptist as this um example for our own discipleship his humility hmm. that he showed he was constantly i think a lot of people obviously thought that he was extremely popular great, right and then here he is constantly pointing people and we read a little bit of that in verse 29 the next day john seeth jesus coming unto him and saith behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world this is whom i said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me for he was before me and i love to think of these when we hear john john the baptist here talking to his followers um, it's always saying no. He's correcting almost, you know, it says it mm -hmm. a few times in mm -hmm. here, just in these first few verses that, no, you don't understand. It's not me. I am showing you a glimpse into this greater light that mm -hmm. is coming. And isn't that beautiful to think when we have, that's really what we're all trying to do, right? That's what it's all about is shining a light on the greater light. 
I think I think like you said, there's a lot of of application from that in our own personal discipleship to be the kind of disciple of Christ that points other people to Him. Um, I know it's often humility is often misunderstood, where people think to be prideful is when I think I'm great, and to be humble is to when is when I think I'm I'm not so great. And so, in an attempt to be humble, people will put themselves down. But John's being humble here, not because he's putting himself down, but because he's recognizing where the ultimate light is and where the ultimate strength is. And I think there's a lot of power in that for for me as I'm thinking of my mm-hmm. relationship with my students, right? Pointing my students to the Savior and helping them develop a, a discipleship for Him and not to their teacher or to their friends or to their the seminary program or thinking about with our children, pointing our children to the Savior and, and the way that that looks to be a humble parent or humble teacher. And I think that's what, that was the word that I kept thinking of as we studied about John the Baptist was that humility. And he was the first people, those verses, the first people he introduces, he says, turn around. This is, this is who I was talking about are some of um, Jesus Christ's first, first apostle, these apostles that become his followers and his greatest friends. Yeah. It's, it's, is it here or somewhere else where John says, I must, I think it's somewhere else where John says, I must diminish while he increases, meaning I, he recognizes that his his mission was to prepare people for the Savior. And uh, it's a cool way to think about your own discipleship. How can I view myself as kind of a John the Baptist to prepare people for the Savior? Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, um, John's, uh, one of the acts that John points out here is that he is the first one to direct Andrew and assumedly John, the writer of the gospel, to the Savior. I love at the beginning in these verses about light, how many times light is referenced, uh, the idea that light helps us see, see things more clearly. And so here's John the Baptist trying to help people see Jesus more clearly. And that's exactly what Jesus does when they come to him. I, I love this story and I just want to read it and then pull some things from it that impressed me. So um, verse 37, the two disciples heard him, meaning John the Baptist, speak. And they follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned and said to them, following, What seek ye? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said to them, Come and see. And I love those three words. He could have explained to them where he lived. He could have given them a sermon, but he doesn't. He invites them to come and see. He wants them to receive a tangible, intimate witness of who he is. And so they follow him. Um, And then one of them, verse 41, findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he, meaning Andrew, brought him, meaning Simon, to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonas, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation of stone. Now we referenced this this scripture story in our first episode this season. Um, But there's something in here that I wanted to pull out that I think we can come to see about the Savior. That is perhaps one of the things I love most about him, especially I have a, a recently growing testimony of this truth about the Savior. And that's this. Um, there are so many different ways that people can come to the Savior. In this instance, it's Andrew bringing his brother. So we can be brought to the Savior. In our last episode, we talked about waiting. Sometimes the Savior comes to us. 
And then in that same episode, the shepherds seek out baby Jesus. Sometimes we have to seek him out. But in whatever way you find yourself coming to the Savior, whether you find your way to him, whether someone else brings you to him, or whether he comes to you, I love that often, especially in the Gospel of John and and often in our lives, the first thing Jesus does is invites us to see him clearly. He wants us to see him, to feel the prints of the nails in his hands. You think of him coming to the Nephites, that's the first thing he wants them to do, right? Arise. One, one by one. Yeah, come feel come my hands. See me. So that's the first thing he wants them to do is see who he is. And then he wants them to see um, to see themselves. In essence, he says to him, I want to show you who I am. And then I want you to see who you are. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, where when man has an encounter with Jehovah, or when a disciple has an encounter with Jesus, the same thing happens. Jehovah or Jesus will give that person a new name or a new identity. So in the Old Testament, you think of Abram who comes and meets Jehovah. And one of the very first things Jehovah does is your name is Abram, but I'm giving you this new name, Abraham. You are the father of, or going to be the father of nations. He's expanding his view. You think you're this, but I'm here to tell you that you are so much more than you think you are. I can see you without the veil. I can see your past and your present and your future. And I'm telling you, Abram, Abraham, you're not who you think you are. Jacob, love that you think your name is Jacob, but it's not. It's Israel. You are going to be this father of righteous tribes. You're going to be the covenant son. Um, Here, he does the same thing to Simon. Of course, we mentioned this in our first episode, but just to recap, Simon comes to him and Jesus says the same thing. Your name is Simon, son of Jonas. You think that's who you are. You're this mortal man from a mortal father. You're a fisherman. But I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter. You are so much more. You may be just this little stone now. Cephas means little stone. But I'm going to make you into the rock, into this foundation upon which people can trust and rely. You're going to be the leader of this organization. And then, in the next couple of verses, he does the same thing again. Verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he findeth Philip. And said to him, follow me. Same invitation. Come and see. Come follow me. Come see who I am. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom the Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Same invitation that Andrew gave. We found the Messiah. You've got to come see him. Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's referencing Old Testament prophecy. The Messiah is not prophesied to come from Nazareth, but from the city of David, which, of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so it's okay. Um, But Philip then saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Can you imagine? You meet Jesus for the first time and the first thing he says to you is this incredible compliment. You are a man that has no guile. There's no deception in you. There's no trickery. You're not pretending to be someone that you're not. You are real and honest and I love you for it. He does this 
all the time. Watch for it as you read John, because he does this anytime he meets someone. You are my daughter. You are this woman of great worth. That's true. All those stories of the women that he meets, the way he addresses them, and those are some of the ones I'm thinking of that Mm -hmm. really, really fall into this. Woman, or daughter. And even in this case, I mean, he says that of Nathaniel, and Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? Mm -hmm. And Jesus answered and said that he had seen him. Or did maybe, I don't know, do we know what happened under the That's fig tree? That's it, right? And that, <laughs> did he just happen to see him and he knew these things? Or Yeah, you pointed that out last night. And I, I've thought about that today even of when Jesus, the end of verse 48 says, when thou were under the fig tree, I saw thee. Is he meaning, I just looked over there and I saw you, and that's how I know so much about you? Or is he saying something deeper? I, I see you, Nathaniel. I see you in a way that you don't even see yourself. And, and one of the things I've come to love about the Savior is that not only does he see us more clearly, he wants us to see ourselves that way, and then us to see other people. My, 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 uh, my recent, very recently acquired testimony of this is, in my experience dealing with teenagers, is you get them at all different states of their lives, right? Uh, sometimes they're awesome, sometimes they're not. Uh, sometimes they're having good days or bad days. And as I've come to pray about the students that I teach and these teenagers that I just, I've come to love to work with, I have felt for them um, this, this experience. I've, I've come to be able to see them, at least in part, in some small way, the way that Jesus sees them. Um, one of my favorite things to do with my students is they all have these personal notebooks that they write in in class. And I ask them to turn them in. I didn't used to do this. I've just done this this year where I ask them to turn them in at the end of each day. And it becomes kind of this one-on-one dialogue between me and the student. And I love, my favorite thing to do is to grab a notebook of a student that I know is is struggling, but who I just look at them and I see that they're incredible. And to write in their notebook, you are just the best. And I hope that you know that about yourself. And I hope that you see that about yourself. I hope that you feel that God loves you because I feel it for you. And, and, uh, and so I, I love this character about the Savior, that he sees people in this eternal and divine way. And I like that because that's something I can aspire to do, to see people more clearly with more light and more clarity. And when I do that, it's always more optimistic than I thought. It's always more complimentary than I thought. And it's filled with so much love and fills me with so much love. I, I think this applies to ourselves too. Hmm. You know, a lot of that, those self-doubts that can creep up the, you know, the bad thoughts that we have of about whatever we're doing or whatever we're trying to do, but to really see, I mean, those stories of Jesus teaching people about who they are, and even in these simple phrases of just like, I know you, or like he said to Nathaniel, no, you're this person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need that. We need someone to remind us. No, you are greater than you think you are. I know I need that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need that. I need that characteristic in the Jesus that I worship mm-hmm. because that's part of the way that he allows us to see the light in ourselves and in others and be that light is, is that as we realize how crucial we are to his to his plan and to his his world. Yeah. So here's what I think we have to do with the study now is to pause and ask ourselves those two, well, maybe three questions. One, what do I see or think or feel about the Savior? 
do I see him the way that I want to see him? Do I have I do I have this personal intimate testimony of the Savior? And if not, what a great thing to focus on over the course of this Come Follow Me New Testament study. I want to see the Savior better. Question two, how do I see myself? Maybe write it down. <laughs> Here's what I see in myself. And then to take what you've written to God in prayer and say, is this who you see? And to see what thoughts and feelings come to you. And maybe there's more to write and more to change. Or maybe help me to see. Yeah. You know, if maybe you don't see anything. Maybe it's the help me see how you see me. Mm-hmm. And then the third is to think about the people in your life um, and what you think and see about them. Now, of course, there's going to be easy ones. Um, like, you know, I could write a thousand things, good things about you or anyone about their spouse. But but to maybe even think through some of the hard ones. Who are the people that you struggle with? Who are the people that you have a hard time with? And what do you see in them? And chances are what you see in them is probably pretty critical or pretty negative. But then to think um, and and pray and wrestle for the way that that Jesus would see them and then start writing that or start thinking that and start acting in a way that Jesus did. He always acted on this, this eternal, divinely optimistic perspective of people and that, that um, governed the way that he acted towards them. And I think we can have or strive for that same, same thing. As we're asking ourselves these questions about ourselves, about others, we might feel like Nathaniel does, verse 48, and Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Why would he know me? Mm. <laughs> kind of a feeling. We read some of those verses leading up to that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think part of the answer to that is at the beginning of John that we read. This is the Jesus who was the Word, who was with God in the beginning. He created all things. Um, he's in all things. He's the light in all things. So this isn't just being known by your best friend. This is being known by someone that spent an eternity with you. I, I often like to think of that, that before we came to this earth, we lived an eternity in the pre-mortal life. And we spent that eternity with the people that were here. So Jesus has spent an eternity with us getting to know us. So when he tells you, this is who you are, he's seeing not just your life, but your pre-mortal life. He's making a spiritual discerning statement about your, about your, your personality that maybe you can't see because you have the veil, but he certainly can. To close, I love this progression that we come and see the Savior. He helps us see ourselves better, and then he helps us see other people better. Um, and then this, verse 48, um, Jesus says to Nathanael, I saw thee under the fig tree, I saw thee. I know who you are. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, once you see Jesus and once you see yourself better, he's now going to help you see the world in a way you've never seen it before. You're going to see the line between heaven and earth blur or disappear completely. You're going to see incredible things. And so I love this kind of pattern for how we can gain revelation about the Savior, revelation about ourselves, and revelation about everything else in our lives. Um, and I think this this study gives us a really practical way to get started and I love I, I love John for it so well what a better 
pump you up <laughs> ending mm-hmm. to the first book of John that says, no, buckle up because you're going to see amazing things. And that's really what we get to see. I'm going to say in the book of John, because I know there are some stories that are just some of my personal favorites from the New Testament, but the entire New Testament is a beautiful place where we see Jesus in action and we get to see those greater things. But we don't only get to see them in these scriptures. We get to see them in our own lives because this same invitation to come and see is open and available to us. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope that this begins a great study for you in John chapter 1 and that it guides you as you study with other people. Please keep your your comments coming. We'd love to hear the practical things that you're doing, how this is working with your family, your own insights and things. We'd love to share them. Um, And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.